Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Awesome. 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 I'm glad to be here. I am glad uh, to not only encourage you, but um, to be um, amongst friends. There's so many names that I don't remember, but I know faces, and I'm excited. You guys are excited that we're here. So um, I'm looking for a clicker up here somewhere. There it is. All right. And so whenever the time comes, good deal. So do you guys got pictures back there yet? Not yet? Okay. So, all right. So um, my name is Jay Ballard. Not related to Dave, we checked. Okay. And so, but for the years been coming up here, I'm actually the director of missions or the missionary, the area missionary in Feather River Baptist Association. That's from uh, Truckee all the way up to Klamath Falls, Oregon. Thanks, Chase. I appreciate it, man. And so... Um, uh, at one time in 2007, I actually came to Reading, and in this area, I was the area missionary in Shasta, and then moved over. And then also, I'm a part-time area missionary. There's 17 little congregations, and then we planted a church four and a half years ago in Reno. And so uh, you'll see up on the screen that this is a part of the team that just went to the Ecuador. And so the lovely lady on the on the far right there is my wife Nikki, who's over here. And so everybody say hi, Nikki. And so um, she came with me to encourage me and to keep me out of trouble. And so that's really what it is that, that she came. Um, I'm, of course, the good-looking one on the left-hand side, right? Um, the ornery kids in the middle. These are all 18 and 19-year-olds. The one in the middle is actually Maddie. That's our niece. She's lived with us for, um, gosh, four and a half, five years, four years. And um, she has committed her life to missions and ministry. In fact, we commissioned her in November last year as a missionary from our church. Uh, this year, we've had a chance to take two uh, international mission trips, and she's actually going to take a third international mission trip. We got a chance to go um, to the Philippines in, uh, in December and in January, and then in um, in. August, we went to Ecuador. This is actually our Ecuador team. The reason I say that is because Maddie has committed her life to mission. She's been to a lot of mission trips, but this is her training ground. We ended up taking this trip. I wasn't supposed to go. One of our other pastors was supposed to go, and then I ended up on this trip because uh, he wasn't able to make it. But we're training Maddie how to be a missionary. And so she really led the team. She gathered all the information. She collected this stuff. She got the uh, all the... Um, connections and all of the information together uh organized the team while we were there and so um while we were in ecuador we got to do some i gotta find out which got to do some great things um that these uh, there was a missions team there a missionary and family that's there they're actually from tennessee they sold all their stuff moved to ecuador without even knowing spanish amen that's trust in god huh <laughs> Now, they, they met with another missionary family. They spent a year learning the language and the culture and those things, and other family went on, and they're still there. But um, they had been on furlough for uh, about three months, and then we went back just about 10 days after they got there. And so we helped them kind of relaunch their ministry again. Uh, we had these girls, 18 and 19 years old. They're, two of them had never been on an international mission trip. Maddie was leading Hertz for the very first time. And so we got to do it this Bible club up behind their house um, with kids. And so, you know, of course, we're doing translation and... Um, and, and they're learning how to present the gospel and invest in kids. Did a couple of days of this. We also moved uh, on to a place which is called the Greenhouse. And in, uh, in this Greenhouse, it's from the little community that they're in. It's about three miles out. They walk everywhere in South America. In Ecuador, if you're riding in a taxi, their taxi is a pickup truck. And you better hang on when you're in the back, okay? Because they don't slow down for anybody. And so... Um, 
Uh, we got a chance to go out here. There are about 23 or 24 people uh, that were there outside of us, but it's relaunching this ministry in this little area. In this area, this little greenhouse right next to it, they actually have a chance to build um, a, a ministry compound. And so that's what they're going to be doing. Um, and um, they've asked us for teams. So the next thing that I'm going to be involved in, and uh, Maddie and I were discussing some of this on the way up here yesterday, that um, not only am I a part-time area missionary, I'm a church planter where we've called other pastors and I've trained. They're all having church this morning without us. Amen. Whew, took like four years to get that to ever happen, but they're having uh, they're having church without us this morning. I got two other pastors there, a third guy that wants to go into pastoral ministry. We've got teams that are there, people that are committed to life on mission. Because silly me, if I plant a church, we're not here just to have church. I'm a missionary. I'm going to make you missionaries. That's my philosophy, right? And so that's what it is that uh, we were there. These guys are are, are starting this uh, missions organiz or the um, location there. They're getting a chance to uh, do the Bible clubs there. We're helping them. This team get restarted. This is a, um, an average house outside of um, uh, um, Awano is the town, but um, we we went to uh, we went to the capital, and then after over the capital in Ecuador, we went over the Andes Mountains. So it's total rainforest. Most of these houses are built, you know, four, five, six feet off the ground the rainy season and they mean rain too i mean they're not just kidding it's raining and so that's an average house at the end of this the experiences that we had the bible clubs the apartment or the movie night 70 some odd people came out and watched the jesus film and so i'm glad it was in cartoon i couldn't understand the language but i got it because it was a cartoon you know what i mean and so um the um this is one of the average families from their house it's about three miles out to that greenhouse. And then for like another, I don't know, 16, 18 miles past that is one road that goes off through the jungle. And there's these little bitty villages along the way. Sometimes there's just a little path that goes off into the jungle. And up in there, there's, you know, a couple of family groups that live in there. And they know these people and they're meeting them. And they want to be able to do Bible clubs and after school programs at this facility they're working on building. Uh, incredible experience and um, this is kind of the icing on the cake again I, I wasn't planning on going this trip I wasn't signed up I kind of grumbled a little bit you know the scripture says do all things without grumbling and complaining right yeah if there was one scripture I could pull out of the you know the Bible and say Lord can I not use that one but anyways I grumbled and um, then we got to go to this place on the other side of Tana is the big city this is a place called Shandia. Everybody say Shandia. Shandia is actually the home of Jim and Elizabeth Elliot, the missions outpost of Jim and Elizabeth Elliot in uh, South America. How many people have heard of Jim and Elizabeth Elliot, the missionaries? Oh, there's a bunch I get to share the story with. Um, so um, let me share this story of, um, of these guys. It's um, one of the mission stories that had launched missions around the world. And for those who are great missions fans, it's... Um, those in, in missionary history and lore that, that, that help draw missionaries to the mission field. And so let me tell you this. Uh, Jim Elliott had the opportunity to go to Ecuador, and he went there in 1952 along with Peter Fleming. Peter was the pilot. Uh, for more than three years, five missionary uh, couples from four missions agencies worked together with the Quechua people to establish a missions outpost and an airstrip. We got to stand right there. 
got to go through this place. The airstrip is a soccer field because what better things to do on an airstrip than have a soccer field? So Shandy is there. We got to stand on the edge of the river where they would fly and then, you know, the, down and, and take off over the river. Got the chance to look out over that. Uh, Jim married Elizabeth in 1953, and then by 1955, they began their attempts um, to get to know the mysterious Aka tribe. Now, the tribe is actually called the, um, um, ah, I can't even pronounce it, um, Rwani is the tribe, Rwani, but we're going to call them Aka because the Kichwas called them Aka, and Aka means savages, and so even the people in the jungle with them called those guys savages, Okay. And so um, they were an isolated tribe known for their violence against other people and against outsiders. The missionaries began regular flights over uh, the Aka settlements, uh, dropping gifts. And for several months, they exchanged gifts. And on January 1956, the missionaries established a camp along the uh, sandbar of the river, a few kilometers uh, from the settlement of the Aka. They made initial, initial contact with some of the members of the tribe, And then they contacted the mission's outpost by radio to tell them that things were going well. This was the last time contact was made. Um, These guys had... um, These guys had come to a place where they felt God had led them. They made it to this location. These guys, when we were there, there's pictures of of them uh, and their families. The house is there. Again, the uh, the airstrip is there. The river where as they took off from the airplane, uh, the river's down below, so they would take off and they would fly. I've seen the biggest beetle in all my life. It was the size of my fist sitting on a fence post. Holy smokes. And those kids are up there taking pictures, and I go, do you know those things fly? And so, <laughs> so we're there. This is the, the pinnacle of what it is for me. So all five of these guys um, that were there ended up um, perishing. Here's the, the interesting part. See that when these guys stood in front of their um, in front of their altar and they said, Lord, wherever you lead, I'll go. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, right? My cross I'll carry. See, they said, I'm gonna go wherever it is that God takes me, regardless. Wherever he leads, I'll go. See, now, as a missionary, when you say that, it's not, okay, wherever around the world you take me, whatever destination, whatever location, it's wherever you lead in life and life circumstances. See, because we come back to the scripture, and uh, like when uh, Jesus said, come, follow me to his disciples, didn't he? He said, come and follow me. And Paul said, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Paul the apostle said, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. (laughs) So, um, sometime later, on January 1956, all five men, Jim, Nate, Peter, Roger, Ed, they were attacked and they were speared to death by a group of Rwani warriors um, while trying to share the gospel with them. The news of their death was broadcast around the world. Life magazine covered the event with a photo essay. Life magazine was a Snapchat of the day, right? If stories went on and things were publicized and people knew about it, it was because of Life magazine put that in there. And so... Here we find that 
the deaths of these men shocked and electrified missionary efforts around the world. You see, they were, they were shocked. They were in that place um, that says um, they were shaken to the core. Could you imagine the families, the ladies and the families that were back at the homesteads? Side. The other missionaries around the communities that supported that, the missions agencies that had sent them were shocked. They were shaken to the core with what it is that God is doing in our lives and with the situation. But remember, they said, wherever he leads, I'll go. And so they continue on um, to continue on. I'm sorry. Several years later. Jim Elliott's wife, Elizabeth, and her children. Nate Saint, that's the pilot. And his, uh, his sister, Nate's, uh, Nate's sister, Rachel, and Nate's son, Steve, they returned as missionaries to live among the Rwani or the Aka people. They shared the gospel with them and included some things, that in, um, including some of the men that actually had uh, been in that killing party. They saw... The entire culture transformed by the power of Christ. And in 2006, there's a movie called Into the Spear. Anybody heard of that movie, Into the Spear? Man, if you get a chance to watch that, just phenomenal. So here we come to this place that um, at the end of this time, they were shaken, but yet they have to come back to remember what it is that God had said. What is it that Lord called them to do when they stood in front of their churches and they said, wherever he leads, I'll go. Remember that passage, deny yourself and take up your cross and follow him. Wherever in life and whatever those processes are that goes on, we give glory to God through his activity in our life. See, and this is where we get to our passage of scripture. And so if you had your Bible still open to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 is where I'm going back to. <clears throat> As you grab your Bibles, let me tell you a little bit more of this story. You'll see that picture that's there. That's actually Steve. That is the son of Nate uh, Saint. Nate had gone back and he lived with those people. And this is one of the pictures. The man to his right is actually the man that killed his father. Steve's son also spent time there. And Steve's son actually come to know him as grandpa. The Rwani tribe was culturally changed. Missions efforts around the world were radically changed in the 50s and 60s. The missions emphasis from multiple denominations, from um, the uh, you know, not only in Southern Baptist, but Seventh-day Adventist, Assemblies of God. Uh, there were other missions organizations that sent out thousands. People just said, wherever he leads, I'll go. And so um, <laughs> we have this passage of scripture. You guys all there in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 say amen? amen? All right. You guys are good and participatory this morning. Let me get a chance here. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, let me share this passage with you. Paul the Apostle is talking about a treasure that is in earthen vessels, or the treasure of God himself in this uh, decaying body of mine. And so in verse 5 is where I'm going to start, but let me back up one verse. Um, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of God. There's some of those that just cannot see God's activity. And so this is what Paul says in verse uh, 5. For we do not preach or we do not proclaim or 
we do, I'm sorry, yeah, we do not preach ourselves. We do not proclaim ourselves. We do not lift up ourselves, but we lift up Jesus Christ as Lord for the, and ourselves as servants. See, what Paul's saying is that Jesus is Lord, God, creator. And in my heart, I put him in that position. And I am simply a servant. You know, that picture of servant comes from Numbers uh, chapter 11, I believe it is, where um, a bond servant. Remember in a lot of other books that Paul written, he'd written Paul a bond servant of Christ. You guys all remember that part? A servant or a slave of Christ. A bond servant was one who went back to the master, maybe after his tenure was finished, after his debt was paid. But he said, you know what, I got a good job here. Maybe you have been given a family. I, I, this has become my family, the work, the area, all the things that are here. I want to stay as a voluntary slave under the master to serve here. And so Paul says, I'm a servant of the master. I'm a voluntary slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the picture here is that, um, this is such a great picture, and and, um, um, Gary Tennant, when we were there, brought this out. He said, could you imagine being a slave to the master? You own nothing. Nothing is yours. You have nothing. Everything that is in your house or in your family, whatever, it all belongs to the master. But if the master gives you an assignment, everything at the master's disposal is at your disposal to carry out that assignment. Is that incredible? I own nothing. I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul says. But everything at God's disposal is given to me to carry out any assignment he has given me. Wow. And so coming to this place and I look here at, um, at this assignment, <clears throat> Paul says, for we do not preach ourselves. We don't proclaim ourselves. We don't lift ourselves up, but we proclaim Christ as Lord and us as servants. Verse six, for God said, let the light shine out of darkness. Where did he say that at? Let the light shine out of darkness in creation. The very spoken word of God that says, let there be light. Let light shine out of darkness. Listen to this. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give this light of the knowledge of the glory of God. I don't proclaim Christ. I'm a slave for him. And the very light in all of creation, God has placed in me to be his glory, not to mine. Remember, I'm a servant. Who is it that said, uh, you know, the donkey can't tell the master where to take the cart, right? You just do what it is you're told. And so here comes this place that I don't preach ourselves. We preach the Lord. We are servants of him. But yet the very light that shined in creation is allowed in us. Verse 7, but we have this treasure in an earthen clay vessel. The very treasure of God who spoke into eternity, let there be light. That very light, Jesus said, I am the... Karen, you guys were doing really good at participation a minute ago. I am the light of the world. Yeah. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. And when Christ shines in us to shine out, this is why. But we have this treasure of the very light of God in our hearts, in a clay jars, in an earthen vessel, to show 
that this surpassing power is from God and not from us. I'm a servant only for the great creator of God. Now, I say that to say that when we are shaken to the core in our belief and our understanding and our, and our trying to figure out how God works and how it is he does, it is for his purpose and his glory that he allows all things. Now, many things Satan meant for evil, but yet God makes for good. In Romans 28, uh, all things work together for good for those who love the Lord, called according to his purpose. But it's God's purpose to allow us to be used for his purpose. There's nothing in me that is for, for my use or my glory. Nikki and I have um, a bunch of stuff in our yard. We keep looking at how much stuff we got in our yard and how much stuff we got in our house. Now, if you go back five years ago, we had a fifth-wheel travel trailer, and everything we owned was between that and the box, and we lived behind somebody else's church, right? <laughs> and we were on mission. That time, God called us to plant the church. I'm like, really, Lord? I kind of know what goes involved in all of this stuff. Are you sure? I can help planters. I know all this stuff. I'll get them going. But he called us to plant a church. Now, there was two of us when we started. One of us wasn't completely on board. Okay? And so, and so, <laughs> and so as we got started now, last Sunday, I think there was 74 in church. We've got two pastoral ministers on staff. We've got one more in training. We have an intern that's there, and we have a missionary that's been commissioned. Okay? Um, we're reaching about 140 different people a month. We're meeting in a community center. We are church in the box. Boy, it's a lot of work. But it's all for the glory of God. In that, we're looking around our house. We're looking at all of our stuff going, you know what? Our stuff is starting to weigh us down again. And so we're looking at how do we clear all that out so that we can be in that place that, again, nothing hinders me. When Brandon called and said, hey, man, can you come over here? Yeah. There was nothing that hindered that call. Lord, I'm your servant. Whatever you would do, oh, there I am. Here I go. Let me share another passage of Scripture with you. And now, flip over to chapter 12. So 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Just real quick, what time is it? Okay. The good news is I'm moving fast. The bad news is somebody gave me real coffee this morning. <laughs> we started with decaf. You guys got real coffee back here. <laughs> okay. In, uh, in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, everybody there say Amen. All right, Paul is talking in 2 Corinthians 11 about all the things that happened to him when he surrendered his life. And he said, here I am. He was met on the road to Damascus. Everything was wiped out of his, his past. And what he knew and what he understood was all radically changed. And then he became a zealot for Christ, starting churches and making a difference and standing before kings and authorities so that he could proclaim Christ. And by the time he gets into 11, he talks about, I've worked harder than others. I've been flogged. I've been beaten. I've been exposed to again and again to death. Five times I would receive the 39 lashes. Um, I've been in danger from rivers and from bandits and from countrymen, in danger from Gentiles. He goes on to say, I've been hungry, I've been thirsty, and often without food, and, all, uh, and in cold. And besides all these things, I have the pressure and the concerns of all these churches upon me. So what God has done in his life is miraculous. Outside of Christ, Paul is the most impactful individual for Christianity. Phenomenal. And so by the time we get to verse or chapter 12, Paul says he had a vision. The Lord allowed him to see what heaven would be and what was in store for him. And by the time he gets to verse 7, chapter 12, verse 7, 
Paul says, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassing great visions. There was given to me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take this away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So three times Paul says, hey, there's something that's bothering me. There's a burden. There's a a thorn in my flesh, whether it's a pain, a burden, a sin, a hurt, a weakness, whether there's something there. Now, we've all come to the place where there's something not only in our spiritual walk, but our physical walk, our attitudes, our actions. There's sometimes there is something that's there. And Paul said, there's something in my life. He called it a thorn in the flesh. You know how irritating that is. Got that thing in my sock and I can't go anywhere else. But here's what Paul says. Maybe it's just me. Does anybody get that? But Paul says here, he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord. Lord, please take this from me. Lord, I can't bear this. I can't stand this. Lord, this is holding me back. Lord, this is the the pain I can no longer deal with. Lord, this is too much. Lord, this is shaking me to my core. Lord, please. Three times he pleaded with God to take it from him, whatever it was. But Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Jesus said, I'm enough. Jesus said, I'm enough. My power is made perfect in weakness. I'm enough. And so when there's something, a burden, a pain, a hurt, a sin, a weakness, a thorn in our flesh. But Lord, this is, he says, no, I'm enough. But God, I can't. Jesus said, no, I'm enough. This is my struggle. I can't deal with it. I'm enough. Because in my earthen vessel, the very glory of um, the light that surpasses is being shown in my earthly vessel. Listen to this. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me, so that Christ may have the victory and the glory in my life, regardless of how cruddy I am on the inside, regardless of the garbage that I got, regardless of the pain that I am. If I've said back where these guys were at in Corinthians, um, in Corinthians 4, for we preach not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord and us as a servant. Am I a servant? Here's what I'm calling you today calling you to say, hey, you know what? My walk with Christ is not enough. There's a weak part in my life. Calling you to a life on mission. What did Jesus say to the rich young ruler? Hey, sell all your stuff, get rid of it, give it to the poor and come follow me. Really? Yeah. All of it. Everything. Everything. So these disciples here, when they come back, This guy here, Steve, man, and then his son calls that tribe, calls that guy, Grandpa. Hebrews 12, endure hardships as discipline. Now, let me talk about this, uh, the word discipline. Discipline is to, uh, to, to train. Now, there's one, discipline, getting in trouble. Anybody besides me just been disciplined the entire way through school, right? The penal system, all of that stuff, right? 
that's me, okay? I've been disciplined like punishment. But in, in, in the, the, the understanding of discipline is what a student would do when they take their tests and they study their homework and they complete their disciplined as students to earn a degree in the field in which they're going to. They um, disciplined in such a way that um, karate or self-defense has different disciplines and they are trained over and over in those disciplines. And so discipline or hardship seems no, no discipline or hardship seems pleasant at the time, but painful. But later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Who are those? Those who say, God is God. Jesus is Lord. I am simply a slave or a servant to the master. But any assignment he gives me, I have the resources, all of God's resources to carry out that assignment. Phenomenal. Does anybody remember this uh, sign? Anybody? Yeah? What does it stand for? What would you? What? Okay. Um, when did this come out? Anybody else know about when this came out? When this came around? Someone say the 70s? Yeah? How the young people said it was something left over from the 90s. Huh? How many people believe it was left over from the 90s? Yeah? Well, it was from the 90s. It was actually from the 1890s. Did you guys know that? There's from a book. Um, it's called In His Steps. Nikki ran across it. She got me started uh, finding out more about it. I am just praising the Lord that there's an audio book. <laughs> That's how I read. <laughs> Turn it on my phone. I thank you, Lord, for technology. WWJD, what would Jesus do? See, in 1896, there was a pastor who was struggling with his congregation. He said, guys, you need you to live on mission. I need you to live a fully developed uh, Christian life for Christ. What would that look like? I want to look like such a way that we know that God is God. Jesus is Lord and I'm his servant or his slave. What would that look like? So he began writing a story and he would read that story on Sunday nights and on Sunday nights to his young congregation, he began this story by saying that there was a pastor that was pastoring a church and it was a good church. Things were going on. They were doing great stuff. And um, yet there was this uh, ill, sick man who came and he said, you know, I met a lot of you guys along the way, and I asked for help, and um, I didn't get much help, but nothing happened. And he came forward, and that guy just kind of told his testimony, and then he collapsed. And uh, later, that pastor had taken him back to his home, and uh, it wasn't very long. They tried to get the family to come over, and that gentleman passed away. And that pastor stood in front of his people, and he said, there's more to this life in Christ than what we're doing. We're called to more, to make a difference, to radically live out so that our legacy and the life behind us and whatever it is that we do gives all glory and honor to God. And we make a difference. We help change the world around us. He began reading this story. And uh, the pastor in the story challenges his people. He said, for the next year, I'm asking for a group of people to meet me just after service in one of the rooms. And we're going to ask ourselves, with every decision that we have to make, with every interaction with making a decision, we say, what would Jesus do? And they begin living their lives according to what would Jesus do, regardless of the con consequences. 
What if I'm going to lose my job? What if my family is going to disown me? Uh, you know, what if uh, uh, I have to give away my, my fortune or my stuff? What if, what if, what if? He talks about a, um, it wasn't an oil man, it was a newspaper man and um, uh, opera singer and, and then a wealthy lady. And uh, so he goes through the scenario of all these people. And at the end of the book, they begin to make a difference that they're radically changed because people see that Jesus is Lord and we are simply his servants. His life is radically changed. And that's what I'm calling you guys to. There's parts of our Christian life that just is not fulfilling. There's part of our stuff where we go to church and we read the scripture, but it's not fulfilling. What part of God, my life belongs to you and wherever you lead, I will go in my life, not around in my location, my geography, but in my life. There's tough life situations. Is God in control of all of those? Say amen. And in that, am I simply his servant? And whatever the God of creation wants, I'm willing to say. That's the relationship I strive to draw people to. The Jesus that changes individuals. My life was radically changed. Man, I was a rotten kid. Rotten kid. God radically changed me. I get a chance to invest in the lives of others. Father, I thank you for this morning. Lord, I just ask, if we'd come to this place, if we see this place, Jim Elliott, Shandia, and how a group of uh, missionaries and families spurred on over decades missions efforts around the world where the Christian church bowed and said here we are Lord send us where us as individuals we go to Sunday school and we read our Bible and we say here I am and we sing the song but Father do we give up all of our lives so that we no longer live as a bond servant you're the master I own nothing if you're there at that place this morning you just want to raise your hand and say Lord Part of this life just isn't fulfilling, and I want whatever it is that you have for me. Just raise your hand and say, God, I want what you... I don't know what that looks like, but I'm willing to go. I'm willing to be here. Lord, here I am. I don't understand it. I don't get it, but I'm willing. Father, there's something that intrigues me. Lord, there's some of these who are here that they've they've prayed, they've asked you in their life, they've, they've given, they're faithful, they're loyal. And Father, if they would just say, Lord, here I am, I will support anyone around me in missions, in ministry. I don't want to be a support. I want to be an encourager. And maybe there's someone here who's not sure about all this stuff, but just simply needs to say, God, if you're up there, reveal yourself to me in such a way that my life would be radically changed. To say, dear Jesus, forgive me of my crud. Come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my God. You run my life. You be God. I'll be your servant if that's you today for the very first time say God I want what you want I don't get it forgive me of my sin just raise your hand and say Lord forgive me of my sin every eye closed every head bowed Lord forgive me of my sin my garbage my crud I want you to be my Lord my God show me what to do Father I thank you for these who are here Lord I thank you for your scripture your text where Paul says that I don't proclaim myself but I proclaim Christ. Lord, I pray for this church. The next weeks are very difficult, but Lord, your plan is perfect, and we are simply your servants. And so, Father, we give ourselves to you today.
Pray for the staff here. Pray for this church being a missions outpost. Pray for this church shining Jesus' love like the community can't understand. Father God, I thank you. If there's anyone here that said, you know, I want to go on mission, I want to be on mission. At the close of service, I'll be here. There's even something you can write on in your um, in the pew in front of you. you. Drop that in the offering plate. I'll pick those up. We're taking more trips. We're putting together a missions organization. We're taking more trips to Ecuador, to South Asia, to uh, Philippines. And if you're willing to be used by God, just mark yourself down. I'll make sure you get our newsletter, where it is we're going, what it is that we're doing, and find out about our uh, ministry the Lord allows us to be in. Father God, we just thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. We all said... Amen.